1: Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It's Monday, the 2nd of August. Tom Stanley in for Nick Luck today, off the back of an excellent Qatar Goodwood Festival last week, which saw some brilliant performances we'll be reflecting on and uh, widening the chat about the return of crowds to a big festival as well. That we is Newsboy of the Daily Mirror David Yates and I will be chatting to Chris Wright, owner of wonderful tonight we'll also speak to the trainer of Sueza, who took the King George Qatar Stakes that is uh, Francois Rojo we will be hearing from John Berry as well about a, a different subject about what he calls stealth taxes for owners and more on that shortly but first of all Dave let's reflect on last week
0: was it a glorious goodwood for you i thought it was pretty glorious tom i must say i'd go if i, I gave it a mark out of 10 i think i'd go 8 five possibly even nine uh, the, the weather did its level best to mess things up we had uh, the biblical storms on sunday and then some more on monday just to top it up but i thought the the action was consistently of a very high standard which of course you would expect from a meeting like that but uh, more importantly from a from a print journalist point of view it was i, I thought the the group one races threw up really good stories obviously true shan Alan King, a first group one for him and a second group one for Holly Doyle. It was disappointing, of course, that we didn't have Stradivarius in that race. And that was as a result of uh, the rain that had fallen. In the Sussex, I think we, we were all expecting... Another great performance from Poetic Flair, as we've seen at Royal Ascot, but that didn't materialise in that uh, he was beaten by alcohol-free. Again, another good story. In this sense, probably slightly less so that Andrew Balding had won a Group 1 and that uh, Jeff Smith had won the Sussex Stakes, what was it, 37 years after Chief Singer had carried his colours to victory in the same race. And, of course, Lady Bothor. I think that that was... Uh, I I don't think I'm on my own in thinking that that was the most warming and and remarkable results uh, of the the whole week. William Jarvis, his last Group 1, had been uh, via Grand Lodge in the 1994 uh, St. James's Palace States. Emma Banks is an an incredibly enthusiastic owner. Her enthusiasm for the sport is is infectious. She's also... uh, She's also got a breeding operation now, which is very exciting. But for all that 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 she's a an enthusiastic and burgeoning owner, she's taking on the might of of the behemoth concerns like Coolmore, for example, uh, in that race. And of course, it was a wonderful result for Kieran Schumacher. There was a, 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 a rumour that seemed to be uh, gathering a bit of momentum about this time last week that maybe uh, Kieran Schumark might be replaced on Lady Bothorp as a result of the defeat in the Falmer Stakes. I think we were all delighted that that didn't happen and he repaid that faith. In spades. it was a a, a really good, uncomplicated ride, I, and it's quite rare in the press room for loads of shouting to be going on uh, during the the conclusion of a race. But the the volume was certainly pretty high during uh, the closing stages of the Nassau Stakes because I think everybody everybody wanted each of the owner, the trainer, and the jockey uh, to win that race. So I, I thought it was a a, a really excellent meeting and uh you know th- there are a couple of aspects to it that that we'll discuss in a few moments but on the whole i i'd give it an 8.5 out of 10 yes that lady bothop and um, performance and william jarvis making his way as fast
1: as he could with the whole of Goodwood congratulating him back to the winner's enclosure that was probably the moment where i i looked back on the crowd as as lady bothop and-, and and he were in the winner's enclosure thinking this would would be nothing without crowds really that was the moment where I thought thank goodness they are back to appreciate this and make it all the more a sense of occasion for William Jarvis it was fantastic we will come to crowds a little bit later on and um, was there an equine performance on the track that made you st- not just for the story but for the actual brilliance of it that made you go wow or were
0: we lacking that this week? I think it lacked one of those but to me, Tom, that's of secondary importance. I like the human interest stories. I like the Alan King, the Holly Doyle, the Jeff Smith, the Emma Banks, the Kieran Schumacher, the William Jarvis, because I, I think that I think that that's more easily relatable to, if that's not a clumsy phrase, which it almost certainly is, uh, for for people who are who are looking in. You know, I, I always felt, you know, with the taking horses like. Uh, Frankel, Corto Star in the mirror. We used to do these things about, you know, is this the greatest ever? And we'd we'd put the usual suspects in. And I think if you're saying, oh, you know, Frankel's 141, and Dancing Bray was over only 140. A very very small percentage of people uh, who read about horse racing understand those figures, or 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 do the the work that allows them to understand those figures. So th- there wasn't one. I thought that there there were. Obviously, uh, we, we were expecting one from Poetic Flair, which didn't materialise. Baid was the horse, so I think if there is an outstanding performer to come out of that, most people would think it would be Baid. His win was in uh, only a Group 3, the thoroughbred states. I say only a Group 3, but he's, he's climbing the ladder bit by bit. William Haggis, his son of Cena Stars, it, he's unbeaten. And every test that's put in front of him... He passes with flying colours. He puts his pen down with about 20 minutes of the exam still to go and then spends the rest of his time looking around him. Um, He still looks as though he can climb a lot higher. I think he's going to get his chance now at... Uh, group One level, and he's fantastically exciting. So he would be the one that I think would would come out of uh, the meeting that we think. Right, well, if there is a really outstanding horse, it's Bayed. And um, I think just one suggestion I would make for uh, to the the Goodwood executive Tom, and that is maybe just to have a look at Saturday. It could it could do with a couple of. Sparklers in there, I think. The Nassau used to be the feature race of the Saturday. Just from, you know, people are going to say, "Oh, he's always banging on about being a print journalist," but I have to see it from that point of view because that's that's the capacity in which I I go to Goodwin, I, and I would say that for for the. For the Sunday Mirror, you go to the races and most of the time you you write a match report. If it's the the King George at Ascot, you know what your starting point is. And most Saturdays, you're writing a match report about what's going on on the track. There are a few fallow Saturdays, normally the ones that precede the big Saturdays, where you look either for a feature or you look for a news story, because the racing that takes place on the track doesn't stand up. Uh, live copy. And I think it's a strange circumstance that one should go to the final day of Glorious Goodwood and say to the desk, right, we'll have to see what happens today because this is arguably the, the weakest day of the five. It, it had five handicaps, it had um, a conditions race, a, a, a maiden race, and it had the group two Lily Langtry at stakes. Now, Thank goodness for wonderful tonight, because we were able to talk about her being cut for the arc, for her connections, uh, looking to France for a jockey to ride her in the Prix de the de Triomphe. Instead of... If we hadn't had those, then I think we would have been scratching around. So I'd be inclined... My own thought would be to put the NASA back on the Saturday afternoon. I think that it deserves... A, it, it did the, the final the conclusion of a meeting like that deserves a big race it deserves a group one and i think that there should be a, a they should move the tiles around a little bit uh to to bolster saturday because i think it looks a bit weak as it stands
1: you mentioned wonderful tonight um chris Wright, the the owner of wonderful tonight is joining us very shortly but um uh yourselves and um Marcus Townend of the Mail have put out a story regarding the fact that a French jockey will write her in the art and that it
0: may well be Olivier Pellier. What's your, your sort of gut feeling towards the likelihood of that, Dave? I think it's extremely likely. I spoke to Olivier Pellier yesterday, and there are two ways of interviewing Olivier Pellier. You either ask him questions in English and his English is not great, so you're sort of piecing together what he meant to say. So yesterday, I decided to draw on my A-level French from 1987 and say to him, "Please speak slowly, lentement," um, but 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 reply in French, which is what he did. And my translation of what he says, uh, what he said is in today's Daily Mirror. But I'll I'll let you know. Uh, I'll just give you a flavour of it. He said that. Uh, he would like to ride her I would like to ride her in all her races in France, uh, I will speak to David Manuisier tomorrow I, today or the day after uh, Tuesday, I am free and hope 100% to take the ride in the arc, he described her as courageous and as having speed we'll perhaps come on to that a little later in the programme And um, so I, I think that's going to be a done deal, but the, the two jockeys when, when Chris Wright spoke after uh, the Lily Langtree States about a French jockey. The, the two jockeys that spring to mind were Tony Picon, who rode Wonderful Tonight four times in 2020, including to Group 1 success, and also Olivier Pellier, in that uh, he was successful aboard her at Saint-Cloud in November 2019. Of course, if we're looking at the the great arc jockeys of the modern era, there are two names that spring most readily to mind, Frankie Dettori, Olivier Pellier. So it's, uh, I, I think it, it, he said you know, that he's free, he expects it to be tied up uh, either today or tomorrow. So I'm pretty sure that that's what will happen. It'll come as a, a massive surprise to nobody. Though. I suspect that, that they would go for uh, Olivier Pellier, but I think they'll get their man.
1: Let's hear from Chris Wright.
2: We don't think she's actually that ground dependent. Um, of course, the only times she was beaten recently uh, was in the fair. She wasn't beaten far. Tanawa did win, who's a very good filly. And it was good to firm. It's not ideal good to firm. We don't like it being firm in the description for her. But I
1: don't think she absolutely needs the ground to be bottomless. Well, now, this is something when I interviewed William after the race. You know, he he was keen to make the point that he feels she's a better filly this year, and therefore, you know, yes, she 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 happens to have shown very good form on quick on soft ground. Sorry, but equally, you don't pigeonhole her as that, and and maybe as a better filly this year, her turning up on on good ground would be fine
2: i think I think we would run her on good ground actually, certainly if it was the right race we wouldn't if it's if it's good on Arc day and we're all set to go, we wouldn't not run her. Mm-hmm. We may not run we we wouldn't run her on firm we may not run her on good to firm, but as long as there's not firm in the description, we'd probably run her.
1: How far are you along the road with which French jockey rides her at longchamp chris
2: well well david is David is talking to them. I mean, obviously, ideally, we would have William Buick, who's done a fantastic job. I mean, after all, he's ridden the three times in group races and won them all. So mm. you can't knock that. And he lo- he knows the Philly and loves the Philly. But, you know, we understand he's got his commitments. And it would be highly unlikely that either one of the, of the two Godolphin horses don't run. So it's unlikely we'd get William. So we are looking at French jockeys. And David is talking to them and he's pretty close to in fact he told me this morning ninety nine percent but I can't I can't say anything until it's hundred percent.
1: Of course. Damn that one percent. But totally understandable. Um yeah. do you know I've enjoyed following your your um social media output since since she won on on two counts. First of all, I think you asked the question how many fillies have won five group races and then you realise you owned one of them. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know,
2: there are actually quite a few, and I did own one of them. Culture Vault, she won won the Phillies Mile Marcel Boussac, the French Guineas, the Lauda, and a Group 2 in Italy. So that's five.
1: And we've cleared up the the trophy. I take you haven't got the trophy yet, that wouldn't be possible, but you know where it is. Uh,
2: I'm assuming that um, Mr Davidson, one of the owners of uh, Comanche run is it that won the steward's cup uh was given our trophy and and it's with him and at some point in time he will no doubt send it back to goodwood and goodwood will then send it out to me and send him the
1: steward's cup trophy Mm. um that's good to hear that we, we we likely know where it is anyway um David is a is a a very popular figure now I think in racing with the, with the racing media his post race comments were very entertaining as well as enlightening how did your association with him come up and, and 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 what's your view on on him as an individual and a trainer chris
2: well first of all i'd say that there's a lot of people in racing a lot of the old, older brigade in racing that actually feel that the media are an, are an intrusion, and they shouldn't talk to them, and they should certainly give nothing away, and it's not up to them to try and get any idea from them about, you know, what might, what, what might win a race and so forth. I mean, that is, you know, that to me is completely, you know, out of line. I've always worked in the entertainment industry in various different guises. And in the entertainment industry, you are fighting for column inches and fighting for the time on television. And you're only going to do that by being cooperative and not just cooperative, but also by, by being interesting and engaging and at times amusing. I mean, that's much better TV, a much better print if you can do that. And so, first of all, David is very good at that. And it, it's it's so necessary these days with all sport. We're all competing for a, for a finite uh, amount of, 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 of viewers and and space and, and time. So well done, David, for doing that. In terms of how we got together with him, it was really my, my bloodsuck advisor, Crispin de Mowbray, lives in Paris. He knows French racing really well. He suggested uh, when David first started that we had a horse with him we, we sent him a, we sent him one or two uh, they he did a very good job uh, they weren't any they, they weren't particularly great uh, but when he's been down to the stud to look at the horses i've always seen in him someone that looks at them with a different eye to most people he sees things that a lot of other people don't see i think he is exceptionally good horseman and so for that reason you know we've supported him and of course with wonderful tonight it, we just got very lucky i mean it was he spotted the filly being unsold at doville and suggested we took a look at her and we bought her but uh, you know of course he's not going to be 100% right all the time with with things he looks at but i do think that he he is one of those trainers who is exceptionally talented and the result now is he's got a great deal more horses than he used to have and he has to now get to the point where he can manage the larger infrastructure that he that he needs to be able to deal with them.
1: Mm, and he's got a, a live art candidate on his hands as well with, with your Philly. Wonderful tonight. We um, wish you all the best for the rest of the season. Thanks for your time, Chris. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, Dave, there was also a, another excellent Philly, a performance outside the Group One Company at the meeting, which we haven't reflected on the Nick Luck Daily. That came on Friday. It was meant to be Batash's day. And we now know, of course, that he has been retired. But Swayza was excellent in that. Um, Before we speak to her trainer, what's your sort of
0: feeling about how good she might be? Well, she's only got one blemish uh, on her CV. And that was when she was eighth in the Commonwealth Cup at Royal Ascot, which I I think, you know, when I say that she 's got one blemish, of course, that was the first time that she came to England. She was uh, unbeaten in those races at Chantilly and uh, she moved stables after her first two races it 'd be interesting to see uh, where she goes next obviously the, the the nunthorpe is is among connections plans and i 'll be interested to see what she would do on a faster surface but shes a, she's a uh, she was exceptional in the the, the King George stakes we were we were hoping that there was going to be that coronation of Batash and the, the fifth successive victory in that race, which would have been, I think, something that um, the, the executive of Goodwood would have been hoping for. I think racing as a sport was hoping for that. We didn't get that, but we got the, the, very, the very next best thing because she looks a very exciting filly and, and she, she consigned that, uh, that disappointment at Ascot firmly to the past.
1: Her trainer is François Rojo, and I spoke to him a little earlier on, starting by asking him how he felt watching that performance at Goodwood.
4: Uh, I was a bit surprised in the first stages, because she was a bit overpaced. but uh, She was in the race. I saw that uh, William tried to go behind Batash on the, uh, the outside field, and then when he saw... He told me when he saw Arisebo going so well, he just followed him and uh, no, it was, it was a, a good ride with a good filly so everything was there to, to
1: give a good performance. Were you confident that dropping to, to five furlongs would see a, a better performance than Ascot? Yeah, we were really saw so in
4: Ascot that uh, six furlongs is too far for her, hmm. even more on, on soft going. And uh, Olivier, who came to work uh, before she came to do it, uh told me also that uh, she's definitely a sprinter and uh, she'll be she'll be much better over five five and a half furlongs.
1: And you know, Goodwood is a. A fast five, I suppose York um, is is also a, a, a fast five. So the Nunthorpe are, a realistic target?
4: Yeah, uh, she'll tell us if she wants to go or not. It's, you know, it's uh, uh, a long journey to, to York. It's a long journey to, to Goodwood. So she, she came back in, in really good form. I was happy to see her back uh, such that's nicely, and uh, we'll decide uh, with Mr. Strawberry. and we Wigan uh, in, uh, in ten days if she if we go or not. She's entered, so there's no problem with that. And uh, we'll see Olivier. We we'll come to ride her again in the She'll stay in the wheel and uh, we'll decide all together if she can go or not. Mm. But it's, too early, it's too early to say anything.
1: Of course, and is she? potentially better on, on faster ground, do you think, François? Uh,
4: I think everybody thought she was on a soft ground, Philippe, because she won her, f- her first two races on on soft, on very soft. But the, the day Olivier worked her on good going, it was a surprise for both of us. As she showed, she, she was much, much better on good going. Mm. So she can manage the, the south going, but she she's much much better on good going.
1: And whatever happens at um, uh, if she goes to York or not, is it fair that the the Abbe is a, a realistic end of season target? Yes,
4: it's uh, it's the main target, of course. quick Quicken and uh, now it's uh, way. When you train in France, you want to win one of these group, one race uh, on the Arc
1: weekend, yeah, of course. And uh, I think she would be perfect for that. Uh, Francois, thank you for your time. Well done again. Thank you very much. Dave, the other issue we've so far been tiptoeing around a, a touch is um, the return of crowds and the negative aspect of that, which Lee Motter said, has touched on in an article yesterday. You touched on it at the top of this show
0: as well. Do expand your thoughts. Well, the, the difficulty, first of all, I think at the very start here, Tom, um, it's important to widen this out into, into racing generally and not just pin this one on Goodwood. We're talking about Goodwood last week, of course, because that was the first festival meeting uh, at which there were full crowds since Cheltenham in 2020. So this isn't about Goodwood, but on the Friday, there was a fight in, I think it was in the, in the Gordon enclosure, uh, well, it wasn't a good enclosure, and um, there was one arrest, and this brought back the uh, one's one's awareness that that when you do have these uh, big crowds at festival meetings, and I say it's it's at all the tracks, uh, things can get pretty tasty. I don't think there's anything wrong with people getting drunk at the races. You know, that has always happened. There was a time pre. Uh, the early or the mid, mid to late '90s, when pubs were not open all day, and Saturdays at racecourses, people used to go to meetings and they used to drink all day because they were able to do that. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I remember a time when everybody stood round the paddock making notes because that didn't happen. That the the, the, the racecourse has always been a place for people to indulge in activities that they, that they might not uh, necessarily do closer to home. And, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all, but I think that the, um, I, I think that, that race courses have to keep an eye on how the, the, the individuals who want to do that, how their behavior affects others. And we're not just talking about alcohol, are we? We're talking about drugs. Like you, I'm not going to go into detail as to why there is often a queue uh, for women's toilets, but it's for cubicles, but it's pretty rare that there is a queue for men's uh, toilet cubicles. And we know why that is, because people go in there to take drugs, they go in there to uh, snort cocaine. And I think that that is something, whether the problem with this like a lot of the issues that we talk about on the Nick Luck daily is that it's going to involve courses spending money. I, I think you need a police presence on race courses. And I know that that has to be paid for. The, I've written about this before, a, a long time ago, I think it was when, uh, w- when it kicked off at Ascot and Goodwood in, in 2018. But a, a police presence it has to be paid for but it's a it's a very good deterrent because the police have the power of arrest if a student if sorry not a student if a steward breaks up a fight and kicks you out of the race course when you wake up the next day all that's happened to you is that you had a fight and you were kicked out of a race course if a policeman breaks up that fight and arrests you you're looking at a date in court your employer knows about it and you are potentially going to lose your job so the ramifications of that are much much more serious so I, I i know it has to be paid for and i'm not aware i i don't have in front of me like well this many police on the race course cost this and if you go up to this it will cost you this but i, I think that um i, I think a, a, a presence of police officers on a race course i think is uh, will go uh, would go a long way towards uh, towards tackling this problem, which it, it hasn't taken very long for it to re-emerge, has it? You know, this was the first. This was the first festival meeting last week where we had full crowds and we had a fight and we had people complaining about antisocial behaviour. And I don't think in this instance that the people doing the complaining were those who, who moan about absolutely anything. They thought, well, something needs to be done about this. Um, I've waffled on, Tom, but in summary, I think that there is a problem it's it's to do with excessive consumption of alcohol which is again maybe from time to time people serving it might have the authority to say i'm sorry i'm not serving you you've had enough drugs is certainly an issue and i think that the best way of tackling that is a a police presence
1: Now, changing tack a little, uh, John Berry has tweeted uh, yesterday in response to one from Nick Alexander and a few others, actually, about the re-registration charges for colours. Um, John joins me now. Um, This is an issue which is rolling on and and rolling on, John. How frustrated by it are you?
3: Well, um, I mean, it's not uppermost in my mind, but every time you get, I just refer to them as stealth taxes, You register your colours. You're not allowed. You know your horse runs. You have to have colours. So you know you have to have it. Um, You register your colours. You pick them out. You're pleased. You're proud of them. Um, And then 12 months later, there's just a set fee. um, To I mean, I treated the treated the details of it. But Mm. you know, you try not to think about. I can't remember what it is. But is, is it 40, 40 pounds, or 50 pounds, or something? To uh, to have the right to use them for another year. And, I mean, I, I registered my colours in 1986, so <laughs> I'd frighten myself too much mm-hmm. if I got the calculator and worked out how much I'd paid paid to do it, but it'd be a few thousand pounds. But but it's, it's the same time every time you enter a horse in a race, there's a £32 surcharge, administration surcharge, and yeah, now it's computerised, it doesn't even cost whether it be 32 pence to... Uh, to process the entry mine 32 pounds, but the, there are all these things. Authority to act, you authorise your trainer to act. You have to get re-registered every year. Um, it's the reason why we have to have these is because the funding situation for racing is so hopeless um, compared to every other country in the world. We, we racing receives a, a minuscule proportion of the money that's turned over on the betting. It's you know, the the, the less well funded countries probably get two or three times the money Britain gets. The better funded countries probably get seven or eight times the, the money Britain gets. Because of that, uh, you know, racing's funding is not nearly as big as it needs to be. One of its biggest, one of the biggest things at each stop is it requires, if we're going to keep it as a major sport on which people are going to bet and be treated as a major sport it costs a hell of a lot to run millions and millions every year uh, you know just think every race day stewards uh, all, all the starters all the security everything um the people in people in head office and we have to have it if we if it's something that the betting public's going to have confidence in you know i think you're always told oh they should spend more money on dope testing more money on stewarding there's always calls to spend more money but the money has to come from somewhere and uh you know the effectively the the owners of this country have been sort of selected as a captive audience as it were and a sort and a soft target so the, all these stealth taxes are levied on them to pay for racing's administration um in other in other countries there's enough comes back you know it's only only a small percentage of the turnover but it's a lot bigger than a lot bigger than percentage of the turnover that comes back to racing in this country. In other in other countries the stealth taxes that are levied on owners are far, far smaller and you know, smaller amounts, smaller numbers of them than there are here because money comes back from the betting to pay from racing's administration, which which it uh, by comparison, only a very small amount comes back here. But it's yeah, it's a frustration, but you know, as I say I've been paying to re-register my colours every year since mm-hmm. 1986, so it's a frustration which I've learned to live with.
1: And and that's the point you you're you're making here, really, that this isn't the stealth tax. This is part of a a number of stealth taxes which which you pay for being an owner, and that is all part of the the, the wider issue of the of racing's funding model.
3: It is, yes, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm um, you know. I'm I'm a trainer, and as a trainer, there, there, there are there are other 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 charges. But you know, talk about owners' ones. But like, and an you know, probably the majority of tra- nearly all trainers are registered owners as well. As you always find you end up owning some horses. So you know, we're, we're at the moment we're focus, focusing on the owners' one. And you know, we should be in an ideal world. We should be bending over backwards to encourage people to own horses. But the way it's run, there, you know, they've i can understand why they've been selected as the target group to levy these stealth taxes on because you know it was put to me last night well are you know the RRA and the cranes federation doing enough to lobby against it realistically you can only lobby against the charge being paid that way if you can come up with a sensible alternative because the money has to come from somewhere um Mm -hmm. and it's pretty hard to suggest another one other than the obvious one which is putting racing funding on a similar level to what it is overseas. Uh, you know, that, that, that is really the only other, other obvious one that one can suggest. And we can keep banging the drum, but it, it's, it's not in our power to do that. But all we can do is keep banging the drum, which I do and plenty of other people do.
1: Thanks to John Berry there for, for his thoughts. That's potentially an issue that I think will we'll roll and roll with trainers trainer speaking quite openly about it now. Uh, a tip for you, Dave, please, for
0: this Monday morning. Yeah, I'm going to go in the 4.12 race at Ripon today, and it's Briardale, a horse trained by Ed Bethel, who of course has made an excellent start to his training career, back to winning form at Ripon last time over the course and distance, and I take to follow up off a higher mark here. So it's the 4.12 race at Ripon, it's the top weight, number one, Briardale. Dave, thank you very much indeed. Nick will be back tomorrow.
1: I'm shortly, I hope, going to go and listen to him on the BBC shout, and it's gold for Great Britain. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is in the team event anyway. Uh, so that will be very enjoyable to watch, but he shall return tomorrow. Don't forget to please rate, please review us, and of course subscribe because it makes it all the more easy to listen to each and every day. Bye for now.